Today is Thursday, December 30th, 2021, and you're listening to a special one-off episode of House Divided. My name's Nick Samarco. I'm Matt Lewis. Today, we will be going over the year 2021 in its entirety, recapping the biggest moments in pop culture, movies, entertainment, sports, recapping the predictions that we made for the year way back in December of 2020, and making some more predictions for next year. Uh, But first, though, I think we should address the elephant in the room, Matt. Where the hell have we been? Uh, The last time we posted was, I think, about six months ago. It's been a long time. Um, Why don't we just roll right into that? Where where are we recording right now? I think I think the listeners would like to know. We are currently recording in person for the first time uh, since we were in the WSFR studio. It's been since that uh, yeah. since before I studied abroad uh, because we're living together. We have an apartment. We're not a couple. Um, Matt, <laughs> Matt is uh, finishing up his um, final year at Suffolk. I graduated in the spring. And uh, we're living together in Brighton. I'm attending law school at BC. So things got a little busy during the summer for the both of us. You were working, and uh, I was starting the process of getting ready for school. And to be honest, we generally just got burnt out from talking about politics. So this will be a relatively light on politics type of episode, which I'm very much looking forward to. I don't know about you. It'll be very good. I, I don't know what's going on anymore. <laughs> well, we hope for those you of you that have been waiting for this that you'll enjoy it. And uh, for those of you who have been dreading this moment, welcome back to the fun. Matt, let's start right off with our 2021 recap. We have two awards that need to be given off right at the top of the we show. We'll be sending these people trophies in the mail. Check the, check the mail. It's coming. Um, start off, we're going to go positive. The biggest winner of the year. And here are the, are the nominees for biggest winner of the year. We're starting off with Crypto Bros. Congratulations to Crypto Bros for being nominated for this award. Following Crypto Bros is quarterback of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Tom Brady. As Matt cracks open a alcoholic beverage to take the edge <laughs> off, Tom Brady, Super Bowl champion this year after leaving the New England Patriots. Third nominee for biggest winner of 2021 is Senator Joseph Manchin. I don't know if that's his real first name. We'll call him Joe. We'll call him Joe Manchin. It's fair. The king of West Virginia, Joe Very Manchin. Good. Donald Trump cadence of you to say it like that. Yeah, sorry. Um, the fourth nominee, a sneak nominee this year, is Brandon Brown. NASCAR Xfinity Series driver um, of fame for being the person that expired. Let's go, Brandon. That chant, which um, I hate and some people love. Uh, And finally, we have two very worthy nominees for biggest winner of this year. Big Pharma. So we're talking Pfizer. We're talking Moderna. We're talking all of these big, well, I guess not Johnson & Johnson this year. (laughs) They're, They're probably part of the biggest loser club, wouldn't you say? Johnson and Johnson, yeah. And uh, finally, we're talking about college athletes. They're also nominated for the biggest winner of the year. Matt, who do you think is really worthy here? I have an idea. I want to hear you. Well, uh, so do you want me to say my winner? No. no well, well, let's well, let's okay. work through the well, list here. Crypto them. Bros have had a big year. They have had a big year. Crypto has been doing very well. Um, they're making lots of money. There's a for a long time they were mocked. I think rightfully so, and they still deserve to be mocked for their personality. But guess what? They're laughing back at me on a yacht right now. I mean, that's the truth. Crypto Bros came out of nowhere this this spring. And people who bought GameStop. And AMC and all those crap stocks. Yeah. Good for the Crypto Bros. Yeah. 
I think, a worthy selection. Sorry, a worthy nominee this year. Tom Brady, I think another worthy selection. Won his seventh Super Bowl. Seventh Super Bowl at the age of, what is he now, 57? He's like 85. Yeah, uh, left the New England Patriots. Everybody doubted him. Went to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, historically trash franchise. Takes him to the Super Bowl and wins in his first year. Well, he's, he's uh, past the um, average lifespan of most Americans. <laughs> uh, he's, he's still playing professional, professional football. He's certainly past the average lifespan of pretty much every quarterback that's played in the NFL. And he's still winning Super Bowls. Uh, Joe Manchin, who suddenly, because of the Democrats uh, winning the Senate majority, well, I guess the Senate split with Kamala Harris plus one, suddenly found himself in the wheelhouse, the driver's seat, for an over exactly He's for the most powerful man in the nation for pretty much every single piece of legislation that came up in the Senate, it needs to pass Joe Manchin. Um, Kirsten Cinema was a thought of being added to this list. She also made some uh, splashes in the beginning of the year, but Joe Manchin was really the one that took the flack and uh, and and controlled negotiations, especially with the infrastructure bill. Um, worthy, in your opinion, of, of this nomination? Yeah, I'd say all yeah. these people are worthy so far. Big Pharma, big year for Big Pharma. Nobody's loved Big Pharma more than they have this year for their vaccinations. Um, government has made Big Pharma a lot of money this year as well. So a great year for Big Pharma. <laughs> Some people hate them even more than they do now, especially the ones that believe that Bill Gates and Pfizer cooked up a nice well, uh, microchip vaccine. Bill Gates was uh, almost my, my uh, person of the year, only because... Uh, of all of the, you know, the booster, the, um, you know, injecting me with the thing that made me like him. Oh, so it's not for divorcing his wife? It's for the chip stuff? No, person of the year, because I love him. Because I love <laughs> oh, I get it. I get so it. Much. When's the last time you bought Windows products? Um, I can't stop. I think everyone should buy a Surface Pro right now. Surface Pro tablets and Windows phones from 2012. Windows 11 just came out. Excellent product. I have nothing bad to say about it. It's great. Thanks, Bill. And finally, college athletes. This year, the Supreme Court said it is unconstitutional and illegal for college athletes to be barred from receiving payments for through endorsements. Um, big boom to college athletes that you know are actually marketable. So, football players, basketball players, and maybe some baseball players, and maybe some female gymnasts or you know Olympic hopefuls as well. Uh, big win for them this year, I'd say. Okay. Yeah, hockey players in Boston. Hockey players in Boston, for sure. They're going to get the uh, the sponsorship from you know the local bars and crap like that probably sooner rather than later. Um, so, Matt, who's your pick for biggest winner of the year? I've got to go with Brandon Brown. You're going to go with Brandon <laughs> Brown. Brandon Brown. <laughs> he, not only did he win a, a NASCAR race for the first time in his life, yep. uh, but he became a household name <laughs> overnight. And so, you know, good for him, uh, Brandon Brown. Uh, let's go, Brandon. No, <laughs> no, no. Yeah. no, yeah. no. <laughs> um, Brandon Brown's a great pick. I mean, the the the. So he actually is a really good selection for this because he went from a backmarker essentially in the lower series of NASCAR to being a household name, like you said. And just a few weeks ago, he had a profile in the New York Times. Um, but I, he's not going to be my pick for biggest winner of the year because. From that incident, it's actually made it extremely hard for him to obtain sponsorship because he's now associated with the political brand. Yeah. Um, He's not my biggest winner. I have to say my biggest winner is Tom Brady. Tom Brady took his balls, put them on the table, left New England, said to Bill Belichick, flipped him the double bird to Bill Belichick. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Left New England, went to a different team with everybody saying he couldn't do it. Took a middling team that was missing a key piece, their quarterback, 
and brought them to the Super Bowl and beat perhaps the toughest team to beat um, this year and last year in the Kansas City Chiefs. I uh, I have nothing but good things to say about Tom Brady's performance. Mea culpa, I was wrong about Tom Brady. I thought he would flounder in Tampa Bay. Um, so that's my winner of 2021. The biggest winner of 2021 is Tom Brady, although... I will say that the biggest winner of 2021, I agree with you, is Brandon Brown um, for the sheer fact that he went from zero to hero in definitely half the country. Definitely went from zero to hero where he won the race, which was in Talladega, Alabama, Um, especially with the crowd that was chanting uh, something that was not "Let's go, Brandon" (laughs) that got interpreted that way. So, biggest winner of 2021, I'll give I'll give it to Brandon Brown, but my pick is Tom Brady. All right, Matt. You have to pick one. Yeah, well, I'll pick Tom Brady. Okay. Um, <laughs> Matt, would you like to read the nominees for Biggest Loser Absolutely. of the Year? Biggest Loser of the Year. The following nominees are... <laughs> <laughs> Nick Fuentes. Twitter reply guys to Donald Trump. The Ever Given. <laughs> the creators of the Super League. The Cuomo Family. And the Build Back Better Bill. <laughs> I think we have some very strong picks here. I mean, Nick Fuentes it gets on this list not only for being an anti-Semitic white supremacist asshole, um, but also for the fact that in an interview with The Blaze, he admitted that he had never even had a relationship with a woman, um, which is just excellent. We'll put that clip in here. I mean, I dare say, from my understanding of many of your viewpoints, you also promote like the way of interacting with women. And I go, have you been in a relationship with a woman? No. So how are you telling other people how to behave towards women when you yourself have not had any actual physical, you know, interaction with them in a romantic capacity or, in fact, in any capacity where you, you know, uphold them in a way that treats them with respect? I mean, if, if you're out here arguing that women are basically half the value of, well, you know, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, in fact, because that's not right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you are looking to some other regimes around the world that do think that women are half the value of a man, I have to question what kind of a person who's had no experience with women is in a position to, to you know, basically promote these ideas well i'm having an experience with a woman right now (laughs) and i've had lots of experiences with women in my life not not romantically per se but you know i've I've talked to enough women i've been and you know i've known enough women to know sort of what's going on (laughs) um twitter reply guys went through a tough year this year donald trump getting booted off of twitter after the january 6th insurrection i mean it's a tough time for the, the Krasenstein brothers. I don't know what they're doing right now, but they immediately lost all their relevancy. It's not like you can go to Kevin McCarthy's Twitter and do the same thing. Let's be honest here. Ever given the container ship that got stuck in the Suez Canal for like a month? That is the worst person of the year. That's a tough one. The biggest, <laughs> biggest loser of the year might be the people that own the Ever Given. No, the biggest loser isn't, isn't the people. It's just the ship. It's just the ship. It's, the ship <laughs> um, it's forever associated with not being able to turn correctly, mm. essentially. Um, Matt, what the hell was the Super League? The Super League uh, was basically a business venture by some very wealthy owners in uh, European soccer, European football. Uh, they decided to start their own closed league uh, with some of the top clubs in Europe. Um, although some of those clubs were not actually top at the time, they're just best known. So clubs like Arsenal, uh, who might finish fifth, but they're very well known, so they were in there. Um, mostly American owners, they were pioneering this. It was basically supposed to be a pro-American sports league. That's what I love. Uh, like closed off, same teams, big teams, lots of money uh, in Europe. 
and they tried to do this in tandem with their regular leagues, and people lost their minds because it would have created way more revenue. So how long, I'm trying to remember, it lasted like three weeks, essentially, right? It lasted about 24 hours. 24 hours? Yeah. Oh. They announced it, and within 40, I think within 48 hours, excuse me, it was canceled. Wow. <laughs> I thought it was longer than that. Yeah, that's a big loss. No, they announced it, and it was, it was basically overnight that they had to shut it down, because not only were they getting threatened by the actual leagues that they were all part of, but the fans were like, we're just going to stop watching if mm. you do this. We're just not going to buy your shirts. We're not going to watch your games. We're going to stop coming to your games. And unlike in America, in Europe, they actually do that. So yeah. uh, they they had to shut it down. That's a pretty big loss. Yeah. Stick your neck out there and just get crushed. Yeah. Um, but the Cuomo family makes a very strong case for the biggest losers of 2021. Um, they, in the, have a hot one. They, they did not have a good 2021. I don't think anybody in that family had a good 2021. Um, of course, Governor Andrew Cuomo resigned in disgrace over allegations of sexual assault and harassment, and his brother, Christopher Cuomo, subsequently has been fired from CNN for being too cozy to his brother and providing him essentially media coverage, um, blanket media coverage positively during a sexual assault um, uh, allegation scandal and uh, and communicating with him as a journalist to coordinate story responses. Cuomo families had a rough one in 2021. But if they had a rougher year than the Build Back Better bill, I don't know if anybody's oh. seen this, they've, uh, they've turned the Build Back Better bill into essentially the bill from Schoolhouse Rock in costume. So that bill... That's sitting on Capitol Hill. They made the Build Back Better bill into that. And that poor thing has just gone nowhere. Uh, mostly through the... hoping one day it will be a law. But it, Joe Manchin has other things to say. It hope and praise that it will. But today it's still just a bill. Um, I don't think that thing's going anywhere. It's it's dead. I mean, it really is dead. Thanks to King Manchin, um, the first of West oh, Virginia. It's a tough, it's a, it's a tough one um, in this category, I feel. But... Is it fair to say that I think we have consensus here? Um, or No, no, no. no we don't. You, you don't. Yes, go ahead. What's your pick? Yes, my pick for, for biggest loser of the year has to go to the container ship, the Esquire. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, yeah, they shut down the global economy for like a week. Or was it longer? How long was it? It was long. It was, it was, long it was almost a month, wasn't it? It was in there for a while. Yeah. And they shut down global shipping for a long time. For a long time. And so I have to say, the Ever Given... Uh, biggest loser of the year. That sucks. Just out of personal spite, uh, I have to pick Nick Fuentes. Um, this is a guy that portrays himself as, first off, he's a dweeb, if you just look at him. Second off, he portrays himself as like this big macho alpha guy. And that, you know, if you follow him, like any essentially cult leader, if you follow him, you'll get all the women, you'll be portrayed as the, the big, tough, strong guy. And the fact that he was asked in what was supposed to be a friendly interview about his views on women and then got pantsed on what's uh, what was ostensibly a friendly network saying that he had n- never had a relationship with a woman and again that clip is just beautiful to anybody that's that's heard it after this um after this episode goes out i think i have to give it to nick fuentes um he already was a loser but i think he went even further down so all right on to the next few categories here there's no nominees. Of course, this year, the Time Magazine Person of the Year was Elon Musk. And I think that's a well-deserved pick. He, uh, he's founder of SpaceX. Richest man in the world. Richest man in the world. He's expanded his global empire, essentially. Um, 
I think it's a, a decent pick, but I think we have different ideas as to who we would have picked ourselves. I'll go first here. My pick was, um, to get serious for a second, my pick was Officer Eugene Goodman of the Capitol Hill Police. Um, that was the the officer that when the rioters were coming up the stairs toward the Senate chamber, he smartly and adeptly directed them away from the wide-open Senate chambers. And but for his action of putting himself on the line and intentionally agitating the, the rioters to come the other way, we don't know what really would have happened. The idea of having uh, senators in a room with a bunch of um, thugs, essentially, that were looking to do harm to them is something that I really can't and don't want to imagine. Um, so... For those actions and his bravery alone, I think it has to be um, Eugene Goodman of the Capitol Police Department. Matt, your pick? Yeah, I'd say uh, my person of the year uh, is Jardell from Domino's in Brighton. Oh, you actually did it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to do it. You joking? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah, so I just had a pizza delivered and Jardell brought it over. So I want to thank Jardell. It was very, very good. Um, did you leave Jardell a good tip? I did, yeah. Yeah, how big was it? Undisclosed amount. Oh, so it wasn't big enough to maybe warrant this award, is what I'm saying. Did you skimp out on the tip? And no, then I didn't. Was, I, I gave him. I gave him the proper. Was percentage. this a makeup award? Is no, what I'm it was saying. The proper percentage for the tip. But is it the proper percentage for the person of the year? Well, That's what I'm getting not. at. No, the proper percentage for the person of the year is probably at least a thousand percent. I would say so. But I did not give him a thousand percent tip. Next year you can make up for that. Yeah, next year. Jardell's name is taken down, and you can figure it out next time, right? Yeah. All right. Thank you very much, Jardell. For <laughs> pizza from Shout out, Jardell, <laughs> our favorite listener. Um, <laughs> not. Uh, he definitely listens. He's definitely absolutely, listening. absolutely. He's listening live, actually. He's our only live listener. He's at the sofa right now, sitting down. Yeah. He brought a pan pizza over for He's himself. Just enjoying to... a show on the television. Absolutely. Eating his Domino's pan pizza. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, who's your pick for worst person of the year? A little anti yes, category uh, here. Uh, Kelly, uh, I don't know, Stavast, Stavast? Kelly Stavast? Stavast. The Fox yes. reporter? Yes. What did she do to you? She uh, created Let's Go Brandon. Oh, no, she's from NBC, but she did create she, Yeah, she created Let's Go Brandon. <laughs> uh, so basically, all of these people in the, in the stands at Talladega are chanting <laughs> F Joe Biden uh, on, on national television for a NASCAR race. And uh, she goes, oh, wow, they're saying Let's Go Brandon. Uh, so that's how it all started, and uh, this is all on her. Basically. <laughs> so, all right, the Kelly's Republican Party platform is all on Kelly Stavis. <laughs> that is essentially the Republican Party platform is, in 2021. Yep. All right. Um, this is a little bit of a story I have behind my selection. So uh, I'll lead into I'll lead into it with the story, and then say who I believe is the worst person in the year. So um, my friend Luke Cervello and I, frequent guest on this program, were uh, coming back from the Boston College football game one Saturday. And um, we were on the green line, and there's a rule on the MBTA that you have to wear a mask. Okay, whatever. We're all vaccinated here. I think it's sort of ridiculous, but it's not that big of a deal. We'll comply. So we sit down. And then there's a woman across from us who's a blonde, a younger woman, a blonde woman who didn't have a mask on. And again, no big deal to me, but it was a big deal to somebody. This woman, another woman comes up to her and starts berating her essentially on the, on the train, calling her every name in the book, 
telling, saying that she wanted people to die, that she wasn't being responsible for not wearing a mask. And the woman, uh, honestly, like probably forgot. And so that woman goes away and proceeds to go throughout the entirety of the green line, trying to find people that aren't wearing their masks so that she can yell at them. So a very heroic effort from this woman. But her heroic effort was significantly eclipsed by the heroism of one brave COVID green line hero that happened to sit next to this, uh, the, the young woman that wasn't wearing a mask at the time. Uh, the younger woman, I think very justifiably, was upset of getting screamed at on a uh, train and started complaining. So the young woman sitting next, I think, was justifiably upset that that had occurred to her. And she starts complaining out loud about what happened. Again, fine. This young man, probably in his mid-30s, took it upon himself as a COVID green line hero to, again, berate this woman, swear at her, cuss her out in the middle of the train, and tell her how bad of a person that she was going to be. And so Luke Cervello and I were just taking this all in with utter disbelief. And if you know Luke, you know Luke is... Uh, he wears his emotions on his sleeves. So Luke starts to get a little antsy and it's just, he starts saying, I cannot believe that this is happening. And, and me, the lesson that my grandfather has taught me throughout my life is to don't mess with the crazies. So I'm thinking to myself, I don't want to get involved with this thing whatsoever. But this woman was getting berated and nobody was saying anything about her. This guy was just going in on this woman. So I just, I, and, and then the other woman comes back and joins in, in, a, in berating the same woman. So eventually I just say, everyone relax and take a seat. And so that actually did calm down the situation a little bit, believe it or not. It was, I was astounded by that actually working. But the worst part of this entire story is that the hero of the story, the man with the scarf, I like to call him, then tries to insult Luke Cervello and I and calls us frat boys, okay? I had my, listen, if anybody knows me, I'm not a frat boy. Luke Cervello might be. You were the furthest thing to the <laughs> <laughs> Second off, I was wearing a shirt that said Boston College Law School on it, okay? Real frat boy type of thing to wear. And khaki pants, all right? That, that's pretty frat bro. Yeah, I guess the khaki oh, you're pants. you a frat bro. Yeah, f- tons of fraternities in law school, as yeah. you know. So we get end up getting off of the train at the same spot as this hero. And after we get off the train, he Luke and I lag behind because we don't want to be with this loose cannon. And this moron turns back to us and tries to get us to sympathize with his um with the actions that he just did and say that the woman was acting irresponsibly. And Luke and I look at each other and just laugh. We said we said to ourselves, You just berated us on the train. So I had never seen this uh, happen, but for online videos, the the COVID beratement stuff from concerned fellow citizens trying to make a difference in their communities, uh, that was the first time I really ran into it. And um, for that reason, the worst person of 2021, in my opinion, are people like that man and that man himself. That's my worst person of the year, for sure. That was a long way around to get there. Yeah, well, I had to tell the story. Context was needed there. Context is needed. Very, very important. I think it was. All right. Do you want to jump into the pop culture review? Yeah. Um, All right. Why don't you quiz me on these? Uh, So, yeah, 2021 pop culture review. We're going to go through songs and movies 
And uh, yeah, so we're gonna see we're gonna see how many of these we actually have either heard, know of, or seen. In the case of movies, um, because I don't know about you, pop culture this year kind of seemed like it was lacking a little bit. There wasn't anything that just sort of exploded, other than maybe Squid Games. I would say yeah. there wasn't anything that was really a phenomenon um, right. like we've had in past years. You know, there yeah. were some big movies, but not gigantic ones, and big right. songs, but not gigantic well, the ones. Movie theaters are struggling right now. Yeah, but you would think they'd have at least one, right? Well, we'll, we'll get there. Yeah, yeah. But uh, we're gonna do songs first. Sure. So, um, yeah, we're going to go, how many of these songs <laughs> do you know or have heard of? Okay. Um, so, this is the Billboard Hot 100. These are the top 10 songs of 2021. Uh, Nick, I think you're going to have a fun time with this one. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to get many of these. So, uh, yeah, here we go. The number one song of the year was Levitating by Dua Lipa. I have heard that song. Not a fan, but I understand why people are. It's It's repetitive and catchy, and that's generally what works in pop music these days um i've heard it not a big fan of it do you like it i do like it it's in my playlist we uh we had a the baby version the the baby version is bad i thought that's the only version no there's a version without the baby that is much better there's no rap in it right oh that's even less interesting more repetitiveness yeah fair all right yeah i guess in general generally i don't like it all right what's what's this number two Number two is Save Your Tears by The Weeknd and Ariana Grande. I haven't heard it. I have also not heard it. I don't even know what this is. If you played it, I probably couldn't tell you what it was. Me as well. I have no idea. Okay. never heard it. Number three, you probably I've heard, heard this, this one. one. Yeah. Blinding Lights by The Weeknd. I think it's an all right song. I mean, it's not great, but it's, it's, it's decent. I mean, the, the halftime performance of it was weird. Wasn't it the number one song of 2020? I think, and the fact that it's the still in the hot number three in twenty twenty one because it was because the weekend was the confirmed Super Bowl performer right. way before that, and I think that that his single had already come out for this. I think so. Um, yeah, that's let me, let me let me fact check that. Right that's there. that's kind of crazy, but I thought I thought the Super Bowl performance of the song was all right. I mean, they pretty much restricted what they could do because of the COVID stuff. It was a little weird. Uh, it wasn't spectacular. I mean, he just ran up and down the field for a little while, but. They did what they could. Yeah, they they really had no other choice. Do we have a fact check, Matt? Going right back down to the bottom of this article here. Uh, number one, oh nope, it's "Rain on Me" by Lady Gaga and Ariana Grande. Blinding Lights was number two. Okay, so it was it was huge in 2020 as well. That's a testament to that, that song. And, that, and this is a um, like not a list of popularity. It's a, like a curated list by Billboard. For 2020. Okay. So it was probably number one for a good chunk of time in 2020. Right, and still is for 2021. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, at the end of 2020. That's right. impressive. Number four? Number four is uh, Mood by 24K Golden featuring Ian Dior. I have no idea what this is. I don't even know what half of those words are. That's not English. No, right Golden, Golden, for those viewers who can't see this list that I'm looking at, <laughs> is, so none of you, um, is... 24, the numerals, K, capital G, O-L-D-N, all one word, featuring Ian, lowercase I-A-N-N, Dior, Dior, lowercase D-I-O-R. And that's how it was spelled, too. Yeah, Very weird. That's, that's something. I haven't heard it. No, nope, it's probably bad. Uh, <laughs> number five, Good For You by Olivia Rodrigo. Heard it, hate it. 
Oh, this was my third most listened to song of the year. Oh, we have dramatically different tastes in music. (laughs) I love her whole album is great. Yeah, yeah. I pre-registered to try to get concert tickets. I no, no yeah. tour. it's we'll a shame it's a shame yeah. my i'm looking at my spotify rap now it was two rock songs a soft rock song a rock song and a rock song it was not olivia rodrigo oh, I don't know what that is. yeah but i'll keep going while I yeah, yeah yeah so a uh, number uh what am i on number six yeah kiss me more by doja cat <laughs> which auto-corrected apparently to doja car oops featuring SZA. Oh, that's how it's pronounced? Yeah, not S-Z-A? S- 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 it's S-Z-A. SZA. SZA. Okay. I don't even know who Doja Cat is. Doja Cat is the one who sings that Taco Bell commercial song that you hate. Oh, yeah. that thing. Yeah. Okay. okay. I don't know. What, is it a woman? Yeah. Okay. I don't know, I don't know what she looks woman. like. She's a woman. Well, I don't know. It's Doja could be a male. Doja yeah. Cat. It's the one. Um, I don't remember which song that is. But I, I know uh, my old, one of my old roommates liked it. Okay. Quite a bit. So I have heard it. We must sound like such old men. Holy crap. Oh, it's okay. It's <laughs> um, all right. So next, number seven, is Leave the Door Open, Bruno Mars and Anderson Pack. The fact that it's Bruno Mars and I haven't heard it is a little weird because I, I feel like Bruno Mars makes some of the better pop music that comes out today. But I've never heard of this song or have heard it on the radio. Not not whatsoever. Um, eight is driver's license. I've heard it once. Believe it or not, I've only heard it once. Another I'm one not of even the top lying. Songs of the year. Yeah, wasn't really a big good. fan. Um, and then number nine is um, "Call Me by Your Name" by Lil Nas X. Yeah, that was the um, the sneakers with the blood in them. Do you remember yes, that? Yes, that was that marketing campaign. Yeah, that was that marketing campaign. I've heard the song. I've heard it. I hate it. I think it's catchier than some of the Olivia Rodrigo stuff, no, but it's, no, no. it's, it is, but it absolutely is. Don't make me go out on a limb and defend little Nas X, but I think it's better than <laughs> Olivia Rodrigo, some of the stuff. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and finally, number 10 is Peaches by Justin Bieber featuring Daniel Caesar and Giveon. I have heard this song a few times. It's catchy, it's catchy but it has no, talent. it has no musical talent. Like, Bieber's essentially um, whisper rapping. Right. And Justin Bieber can sing. Right. He's a very good singer. Right. But, yeah, there isn't a lot of, like... Well, the guys who sing, the features are... are so, what do you think it says that the, the biggest hits of 2021 are songs that, essentially, you and I haven't heard of? I've heard of seven out of... Uh, first off, I've, I've heard of and, and enjoyed... Um, <laughs> okay. Um, Maybe songs that... Well, I don't think it says a lot about our broader culture if I don't enjoy things. But what do you make of... I enjoy of, half of the songs. <laughs> I know. I, know. I was trying to claw back and just make it about me. <laughs> um, not you. But uh, the... What do you think it's... What do you think this set of songs says about the broader sort of musical scene that we're in right now? Um, if anything. Devoid of talent. Devoid of talent. Um, I think a lot of it is... Well, actually... I, well, I can't speak for the ones that I haven't heard, but I do like a lot of the songs on here. Um, Olivia Rodrigo was the first pop album that I've heard in a long time that I enjoyed, that album that she released. I, was like, she oh, did, I will grant that some, she has a lot of talent. Music on this album, like just objectively. Uh, but Doja Cat, the popularity of Doja Cat, and I've heard multiple Doja Cat songs yeah. just by uh, being around others. <laughs> and terrible it's awful. terrible it's really bad um so yeah i don't know there was i was in a i was in a tournament thing for law school softball and 
these songs. I didn't know what they were. But was the yeah, song. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the. I think that was Doja Cat. That is, that is, and that song was played maybe twenty times during the tournament. It was like I was at Guantanamo Bay. Um, yeah, listening they were trying to, to get things. the information out of you. Guys. I don't think so. I was on their team, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I think I agree with you in that. It, broadly, not a lot of talent, and it is very distinct from. So I listened to a thing earlier this week on. Um, it had the list of the top top five songs of each year from 2010. The music for the past two years has been distinctly different from essentially the last 10 years of pop music. It's not really poppy anymore. It's very niche in terms of its songs. Like the the song types, like Doja Cat stuff is very niche from what traditional pop music used to be. Right. Um, pop music used to be accessible. Right. And Doja Cat is anything but accessible. Right. And I guess you, I guess Olivia Rodrigo is, is pop Olivia music. Olivia Rodrigo is pop. I think that's fair. I think that's fair to say that she's the new face of pop. Um, other than that, I mean, I just the don't get it. The weekend is accessible. Fair. Fair. The weekend is too. And, and it's, it's decent. Um, what was your pick for the best album or song that you... Uh, do you want me to do song and album? Or? Nah, well, it depends on what you have. I just have a best album. Okay. Um, I have a song and an album. Go for it. D- different artists. Go for it. My top song of the year was Running Wild by Midland. Uh, it's a very kind of... Uh, it's good. It's a good song. It's kind of like a lo-fi cut from their like early day. They released a bunch of these lo-fi tracks that were just like... So it's a real release? Early cuts. No, it was like early cuts of stuff they never released. Okay. Like when they were starting the band. And it's a good song. Uh, and then my album of the year is Olivia Rodrigo's Sour. <laughs> Just a great album. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't have a best song. I, I, I'm I not a person who has like a best favorite song okay. for like purposefully. Um, but I really, really liked I talked about it previously on this podcast. The, the Essentially, The Last Hope for Rock and Roll, um, which was Wolfgang Van Halen's uh, debut album with his band Mammoth. I really liked that. I thought it was... You know, it's a little bit more metal than I typically like, but um, it's the best of what rock and roll is today, in my opinion. So, I really enjoy that album. Um, it's available. You don't listen to new music. I don't like it. I want to like new music. I don't. Like, I, I, I really want there to be some new music that I like, but most of it is just not really interesting to me. Like, um, I think a really good example of it is, what was the most popular song of 2012? Do you remember? No. Call Me Maybe. Yeah, Who liked that, that song? song? Nobody likes that song. And, you know, I'm I'm used to listening to music from the 60s and 70s where you had people just with showing the utmost skill on guitars and drums and singing their hearts out. And the majority of it now is just electronic you're, and auto-tune. you're just listening to pop music. What was that? I said you're, you're exploring pop music is the problem, I think. Yeah, but, I mean, I don't really like indie music. Like, people have said to me, oh, try Tame Impala, try Tame Impala. I hate it. I don't like Tame Impala. It's terrible. Like... I love alternative music from like the 90s and early 2000s, but I listen to the new stuff now and it's just not my cup of tea. It's, uh, it's sad boy music mostly. It's like depression music right, right. mostly, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's my pick for album of the year. Again, I don't have a song of the year. Okay. Um, so, all right, on to movies. I'm going to quiz you on these, okay? Yeah. Here are the top 10 highest grossing movies according to, I believe it was Forbes that I got this list from. Of 2021. You're asking me if I've seen any of these? Have you seen any of these either streaming or in theaters? Okay. okay. Spider-Man, No Way Home. No. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. No. Venom, Let There Be Carnage. No. Black Widow. 
No. Fast and Furious 9, The Fast Saga. No. Eternals. No. Is that a Marvel movie? Yeah, it is. What is Eternals? Uh, from what I understand, um, it was... It's not an Avengers thing, is no, it? No, so okay. it's like these people are sent to Earth to like protect it from like some weird interdimensional thing. Ugh. But they don't interfere in human affairs. Pass. So like, they just observe all the Marvel stuff that's happening. Pass. <laughs> it actually was one of the, the movie podcast reviewers that I listened to. They said this is the first bad Marvel movie they've watched, and they're pretty tough on movies, so... <laughs> Good for them. <laughs> I can't say that that would be the first bad Marvel movie that I've ever they seen. They generally like them. They okay. don't hate them, but they, well, like, like, they don't love all of them, but they're okay. like, okay, it wasn't a bad movie, but it wasn't Okay, good. fair. Um, 007, No Time to Die. Nope. I've seen that one. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was really good. Um, I'll talk about that in a second. A Quiet Place Part 2. Nope. Free Guy. Nope. Ghostbusters nope. Afterlife. Nope. nope. Okay. Nope. So let's, let's quickly run through the list. So Spider-Man is a Marvel movie. Shang Chi. Uh, sorry, didn't Spider Man break? I think it's second right now like to the. Or, oh, sorry. it's it's higher grossing than the Titanic. I think it's grossed less than the Avengers Endgame and oh, Avatar, if my memory serves correct. I looked this up the other day, but okay. yeah, fact check me if you would. Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. What the hell is that? It's a Marvel movie uh, about some. Like D-list Marvel character that is they decided uh, it's, to it's basically a martial arts movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Is it designed for China? Uh, you know they've been doing this a lot yeah, with Marvel. I think, I think a little bit, but I think okay. it's also just a martial arts movie. Okay, that is in the MCU. Got it. And they just decided to make one. Yeah, Venom. Let there be carnage. Is that another Marvel movie? Yeah. I thought that was. Oh, is that Spider-Man's nemesis? It's Spider-Man universe. Yeah. Okay. Black Widow is another Marvel movie. That was Scarlett Johansson, right? Yep. Fast and Furious 9. I cannot believe we are on the ninth installment of Fast and, The Fast and the Furious. And we're, what, three movies removed from Paul Walker's death? And they're still some of the highest grossing movies of all time. Unbelievable. Um, Eternals. We talked about that. No Time to Die, the new James Bond movie. Again, it's another it's another series. I really like James Bond movies. I thought that the the most recent few have been pretty bad. Um, Spectre was terrible. I really like Skyfall, um, but that the most recent one, Inspector, was awful. Um, I re- I thought that No Time to Die was pretty good, except I swear if they use this as an opportunity to change James Bond into a woman. Not that I have anything against strong, powerful uh, women in leads, but James Bond is a man. His name is James Bond. And it indicated at the end of the movie that that was possibly what was going to happen. So I do not hope, I, I do not wish for that to occur. But I thought it was a good movie nonetheless. Um, a Quiet Place Part 2, that was pushed off. It used it was going to come out in 2020. It's uh, I, Did you see the original Quiet Place? No. I thought it was an excellent movie. John Krasinski, Emily Blunt... Um, I've heard of good things. I just haven't ever seen it. Excellent movie. Go go ahead and watch it. It's very pro family value, so you would enjoy it. Sorry. Um, I can't test to testify to how good the second movie was, but the first one was really good. Um, and I I don't think this really counts as like a traditional series sort of like cinematic universe thing. No. Because it's it's not. It's it's its own separate movie. It's like The Godfather essentially. Not to compare it to The Godfather, but it's like The Godfather in that it's a different thing that hasn't been commercialized it's just a storytelling way of doing it 
Um, Free Guy came out right at the beginning of this year, if my memory serves correct, when the movie theater started reopening. Came out in, uh, well, I guess in, in May. May. Yeah. May, June. That's the beginning of the year to me. The the <laughs> um, I've heard good things about it. Filmed in Boston. Was that Spike Lee? No, that was a Ryan Reynolds. Right, but who was the director? Oh, I can look it up. Okay. I can't, I can't remember who, who was the director of Free Guy. Um, and then Ghostbusters, Sean Levy. Sean Levy, okay. And then Ghostbusters Afterlife was, I believe it was the kids' version of Ghostbusters, which is just a. Is this, isn't it Paul Rudd in that? I don't know. I think he was, and I got so the the same uh, movie review. Uh, shout out to the Sub Beacon podcast um, <laughs> with with Jonathan B. Last and Sunny Bunch and uh, Victorino Mattis, um, <laughs> but they hated Ghostbusters Afterlife. Um, yeah. I mean, how could you not? It's the yeah, it was 50... the Paul Rudd. It was the Paul Rudd one. It just came out recently. with kids too, right? I think there's kids in it. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so it's the fifty-sixth remake of Ghostbusters. Yeah, so it's Paul Rudd leading a bunch of kids. That's so dumb. I think so dumb. I think. Yeah, I think it's Paul Rudd. Okay. Yeah, I mean, no wonder why it didn't do well. You have to wonder. If these movies were up against the traditional schedule, like slate of other movies, how well would they do? I mean, Ghostbusters probably drew really well because it just has Ghostbusters in front of it. And Hollywood is on a nostalgia kick because the consumer is on a nostalgia kick still. Yeah. So I wonder if we had a full slate of movies out there um, this year, which we didn't, um, if it, would, if it would, would have done as well. Right. I don't, I don't well, know. Because all of these movies came out recently. Yeah. Because like, no time to die. I saw a few months ago. Feels like um, a quiet place was out at essentially the same time. Spider Man just came out. Spider Man just came out. Yeah, number one. I mean, it's going to break the top ten of all time. I think it's already had. I think. Well, the, what I looked up was three days ago, and it said it hadn't yet. But okay. It was, it was nineteen, but it was on track to got it be in the top ten. That's insanity. Um. All right. So you haven't seen any. I've seen one. What do you think this says about movies in two thousand twenty one? That I don't like Marvel movies. I think that's fair. That what dominates cinema right now are Marvel movies and remakes of previous old brands. And right. that includes it's James Marvel, Bond. Marvel, 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 Marvel. Fast and Furious, Marvel. James Bond. Original. Quiet Place is original. Original. Ghostbusters. Right. Like So only two of those movies are actually like original franchises. Right. And I think, I think that that says that we're we're at a place where consumers don't know what the hell they want, and nor does Hollywood. Um, Only one of these movies wasn't a sequel. I know. Or a remake. I know. Only one. It means that directors essentially aren't willing to take chances anymore. Or I shouldn't say directors. Big studios aren't willing to take big chances anymore on, on movies that are you know, maybe iffy, that the general public won't necessarily love, but are artistic and great stories that can be put out there for a public that you know, might catch fire, something like a raging bull or um, something that, you know, doesn't have traditional um, structure like a, a Marvel movie does. So um, do you think that, I have a prediction question for you. Do you think that movies will rebound significantly in 2022 compared to their performance in 2021? Mm-hmm. Movie theaters. Yes and no. Uh, <laughs> Great I answer. Think, uh, well, I think that... It depends on what happens with COVID. Okay. Because Omicron is exploding right now, and so people are nervous to go out. Again, like some people are more nervous. And um, it depends on what they do with streaming as well. 
Spider-Man is doing well, in my opinion, because the st- it is not streaming. You have to go to movie yeah. theaters to see it. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. But at the same time, like, so I don't think movie theaters are going to do well. I think movies will continue to do well. Um, obviously, uh, Dune is a movie that wasn't on this list, and it streamed. And so in the box office, it did okay. But they greenlit the sequel on the first weekend before they even made uh, broke even. So yeah. it must have driven enough HBO Max subscriptions to justify the sequel. But we don't have those numbers. So I think the studios are going to be okay because people will stream. Well, people will subscribe to do streaming crap. Um, but I don't know if movie theaters... Uh, as long as movies are streaming at home and COVID is still in people's minds... Movie theaters are going to struggle. Still. I think movie theaters. I think that's an excellent answer, and I think the answer to movie theaters' problems is they're going to have to dramatically change their business model. I, I know for cheaper myself, snacks. cheaper snacks and cheaper tickets. Yeah. There is no reason why I should be paying fifteen to twenty dollars for a single movie to go see. Some places are up to thirty dollars for movie tickets. That's yeah, insanity. I could buy five tickets to the Providence, uh, sorry, to the Pawtucket Red Sox, which no longer exist, but I could buy five tickets to the Pawtucket Red Sox for that same price of one movie ticket. That's ridiculous. So they have to change their business model. And to be honest, for a lot of these movies, I'd rather watch them at home. And not because I'm afraid of the virus and not because I don't love movie theaters, but with the exception of something like a James Bond or like a big blockbuster. Yeah. I don't need to go and pay that money to have the right. surround sound. Right. You know? Yeah, something like, again, Dune, because that was one of the yeah, only yeah, movies yeah. I saw this year. That was a movie that touted its sound design. Right. And it was like, if you want to see it, you have to see an IMAX. Yeah. Something like that makes sense to go to a movie theater. But mo- you're right. Most of these movies, I'd be like, yeah, I'd be fine watching this on my TV. Or on my right. TV. Right. Exactly. Um, Which is anathema to some people. Yeah, I... I Whatever. <laughs> um, they can pay for my movie ticket if they want me to go. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that's a great prediction. Um, I think you're mostly right on that. I hope you're wrong in the sense that I hope that movies rebound and movie theaters rebound, but I think you're probably right there. Um, we're moving on now to the best movie period that you've seen this year. Could be in theaters, which I don't think you've, you've gone to one theater this year. Could be streaming. It could be on VHS, DVD, whatever VHS. format. Yeah, if you got one it laying didn't around. Have to come out this year. No, it didn't. Okay. It does not have to come out this year. But the best movie you saw this year was Dune. You liked Dune. I really, I saw it twice in theaters. <laughs> I went to see it in IMAX, and then I went to see it again a few weeks later. Not in IMAX because it was out of IMAX. Why'd you like it? Um, well, so the sound design is excellent. There's great music. Um, the the sounds and the sound effects are really cool. So in IMAX, that was amazing. Yeah. Um, I also just really liked the story. Um, it was a movie that had been hyped up for me a lot over the. Over Trust the- me, I know. <laughs> yeah. um, but basically, a lot of people came away from Dune confused uh, because yep. it's a very it's been touted as one of it's a book, and so right. it's uh, been touted as basically a book that is essentially impossible to turn into a good movie. Um, and I think Denis Villeneuve wrote rose to the occasion and made a really good movie if you did you, it's one of those movies that you have to do a little bit of background to figure out to know what's going on um which i don't care i had the background and- see i hate that i hate that so much like that for me not 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 yucking or yum but the idea of going into a movie theater having to do research before 
is offensive to the very idea of movies. Okay. Movies are supposed to be one thing that comes together cohesively to tell a story. And it couldn't leave on a cliffhanger for the purpose of going into like a second movie mm-hmm. or can be deliberately designed to set up a second movie. But just to me, going into a theater, having to know certain characters so that I can understand the film, why are you making the movie at that point? Well, it's basically like to understand the premise of what's going on. So it'd be like if you had no idea what the mafia was, you would probably want to know what the mafia was before going in to see The Godfather. Yeah, but do I, but do I need to know who Don Corleone no. is? Right. No, and you don't need to know that for Dune. Like, you don't need to know all of the characters per se. Okay. But you need to have an idea of the world. Okay. And so it's like, why are they going to this planet? Well, okay, it's like because there's a interstellar travel is needed spice to do interstellar travel. And okay. There's a basic rivalry between these two factions. Okay. Like, like you need to know a little bit of basic stuff. So if I that. went and saw that movie, yeah. leaving aside my adamant hatred for most sci-fi, mm-hmm. could I understand what was going on? Yes, I think so. You think so? Yeah. Okay. All right. Good to know. Um, my pick is Django Unchained. I watched uh, Quentin Tarantino's Django Unchained on Netflix on my phone, it was perhaps one of the best um, three-team performances I've ever seen in my life. Uh, you have Jamie Foxx playing Django. You have Christoph Waltz playing a, a, an opportunist slave trader, essentially, that's going to um, sell slaves but likes Django. And you have Leonardo DiCaprio playing a vicious plantation owner. And those three combustible characters combined into one movie scene it's just magic and you combine that with quentin tarantino's ability to um show emotion through cameras in very subtle ways that leads to an ultimate sort of crescendo at the very end um was really astounding and the i sent you this clip if you remember of dicaprio which in my opinion is the best performance that i've seen of him playing the slave trader and it's now it's now become sort of iconic and he is, there's a big confrontation at the end of the movie. I won't spoil it, but at one point he smashes a glass and it looks as though he's cut himself. So the viewer is led to believe, oh, that was intentional. There's probably a blood packet. No, what happened is DiCaprio actually smashed a glass with his hand unintentionally and cut his hand wide open and was bleeding, like severely bleeding out of his hand. And through sheer force of will, he continues through the scene and actually utilizes some of the blood to make the scene even more just um, compelling and, and chilling to see that man's anger on display. Um, Kerry Washington, I think, is in that scene as well. And he wipes some of the blood on Kerry Washington to, to make a point. And it's going back and understanding that that was real. That's what dedication to the, to the role of acting is. I mean, that is somebody who is at the height of their game combined with a great director and a great script to form just a, a perfect scene in, in movies. It's one of the better scenes um, in recent cinema that I've seen. So highly recommend Django. Maybe not your favorite type of movie. It is pretty graphic. No, I'd probably really like it. You would like it? Okay. I like Tarantino movies. Okay. I've seen Glorious Bastards, yeah. and then I couldn't get through the hateful but I, I agree with you. We were, I think we were just talking about this last night. We, that we were. I, started, I started watching the hateful eight myself. I got about halfway through. And I love Tarantino. I just couldn't get through it. Well, well, so actually, I never intentionally shut it off. But the first time I tried watching it was on a plane. Oh, you fell asleep. Landed. Oh, you landed. Okay. We landed. Uh, and the second time uh, was I was with my family, and we were watching it. 
and then we had to get up early and it was late so we were like okay we just have to go to bed. <laughs> like we can't finish this movie because it was like an hour and a half left and we had to we, we were getting up early and it was like already past midnight we're like okay we have to go to bed mm. um so i didn't want to stop watching at either point but i just haven't had the opportunity to watch the, the, the rest of it i enjoyed what i saw but i can't watch it again because i've seen the first half twice right i, I Right, and it's a long slog. I mean, it's it's. I think it's intentionally designed to be a one room movie. Yeah. Which I mean, the it's not a big spoiler because it's the entirety of the, you know, it's 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 essentially just the setting of the movie. It starts in a stagecoach. They go to one room, and it looks like that's where they're going to end end up for the rest of the entire movie, yeah. um, which I think is an interesting premise, but it's very dialogue heavy sure. and not a lot of action. And then so. the rest of the other bits and pieces of Quentin Tarantino, I think I've seen Kill Bill bits and pieces of it. Yeah. Uh, I like all of them. I mean, I almost... I've seen I've seen most of Tarantino except for Kill Bill, I think. And I also watched Pulp Fiction for the first time this year. That was almost my pick. Excellent, excellent movie. Um, so two recommendations for you that I guess you'll like. Yeah, I mean, I have yeah. a, a break right now, so I guess I could... There you go. I think they're both on Netflix. Yeah. Or maybe one on HBO. Well, I'll check it out. So maybe we'll watch it again. I, I want to watch Pulp Fiction again. Okay. So maybe we'll watch that again. Um, all right. Moving on to television... I'll go, we're, we're going to talk about our best and worst moments of television in 2021. For me, the best moment of television, I'm a, I'm a big Conan O'Brien fan. I watched the show, believe it or not, some of it. I used to watch, um, not used to watch, but I still watch the clips online. And uh, I listened to his podcast. And Conan O'Brien called it quits this year after a pretty long time on, on national television. Of course, he had that um, storied career initially taking over for Jay Leno only to get booted out rather quickly. Thanks to Jay Leno's treachery, um, but he's had his show on TBS now for uh, what is it? Almost, almost twelve years, I think, if my memory serves correct. A long time. A long time, and he's uh, he called it quits. Um, a few of his last shows were excellent, especially his interview with Martin Short, um, which I really, really enjoyed. So uh, that's my feel-good best television moment of 2021: the end of Conan O'Brien's television career. My best television moment of the year um, has to be Squid Game, not because I enjoyed it at all. Um, it was it was fun. The murder games were fun. Um, <laughs> like it was it was an interesting show, and I liked um, I liked some of the commentary, the social commentary. I didn't necessarily care for any of the characters um, or any. A lot of the writing was was so so, but the social commentary and just the idea was very unique, and that was interesting. But I think what it makes it the best moment of the year for me was how popular a foreign television program got yeah. in the United States. Yeah. Uh, and, and not only did it get popular, but people were watching it subtitled. Right. Um, like, just the consensus I saw across the board was that, like, you have to watch it with the subtitles yep. in Korean. Um, and I did that, and I enjoyed it. It was one of the only series I watched this year. Um, I think I watched at the beginning of the year Ozark season three, but that didn't come out in 2021. Um, so, you know, it was, it was, it was good though. Um, again, not great, but I mean, kudos to an interesting, uh, cultural moment. I mean, kudos to Netflix. They've, they've done this a few times now where they've had really obscure stuff just explode. And it's because they're able to take the risks that, you know, big Hollywood studios just aren't willing to take anymore. Um, in, in terms of content. And this is another risk that they were, you know, willing to take. Probably cost them nothing to buy it, but no. it just exploded onto um onto the streaming services, um, on Netflix in terms of viewership. I, yeah. I it's that's a great pick. Um 
I didn't watch the whole series myself, but I've seen the first episode and I've seen most of the, you know, the rest of the concept of the, the murder stuff. (laughs) Um, I've missed the storylines obviously, but, uh, storylines are fine. Yeah. It's more the social commentary of poor people being, uh, coerced into playing murder games for money. Got it. Like the Hunger Games. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Not, well, no, because... They're forced to do the Hunger Games. These people chose to do Squid Games. Fair. After, only after being murdered in the first round. <laughs> um, but the I get it. I get chose. it. I get it. <laughs> um, all right. So what's the worst television moment of 2021? And we are excluding, in this case, uh, watching the siege of the United States Capitol on live television or the fall of Afghanistan on oh, live I television. Even about that. I was thinking about like entertainment programs. No, I, I know. I just had to throw that in there okay. because without a doubt, for me, those were the two worst things okay. I've ever seen on television. Oh. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, go. <laughs> mine, uh, mine is every Marvel spinoff show that came out this year. Okay. Because there were like five of them. Um, I think we got this year, or maybe this was the end of 2020, we had... Um, one division, which I think was end of 2020, so I might not count. You didn't like that? I've heard a lot of people like that. I, 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 I don't like Marvel stuff. Okay. And I think that they, I think like, I think they're milking Star Wars, and I might be a hypocrite because I'm on board for the Star Wars stuff. You absolutely because, are. Because I enjoy it. <laughs> um, but I don't enjoy the Marvel stuff, and yeah. I'm watching them blatantly milk the series. And they're milking Star Wars too, but yeah. I'm here, I'm, I'm here to drink from the teat of Star Wars. <laughs> uh, but... <laughs> oh, I'm not for Marvel, so okay. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd say that uh, Marvel—it's just annoying, and there's way more of it. So they're doing a little bit with Star Wars. So we're getting like one thing a year with Marvel. It's like, oh, here's like five new movies and ten new television shows, all in twenty like 2021. The top grossing five of the top grossing movies were Marvel yeah. movies. Yeah, and they also had like four television shows. I think. Um, were any of the were any of the TV shows on network or were they all streaming? All Disney Plus. All Disney Plus. Okay. Um, yeah, but there were like I think four shows this year, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it was Loki, um, the Black Hawk, uh, Black uh, Nope, uh, Hawkeye, <laughs> Hawkeye, Hawkeye, Black Hawk, <laughs> Black Hawk Down, Widow Hawk. <laughs> uh, uh, so yeah, it was Hawkeye, Loki, um, the the Winter Soldier, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, they I did another one of those. That, that, was that 2020 then? No, 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 no. The, I know that there's the Winter Soldier movie. Oh, yeah, so they did a they did a Captain America spinoff. Really? Uh, was Chris so, Evans in no, it? No, Chris Evans is retired. He's, kept, like, he's never coming back. Oh, really? Um, so they're like trying to introduce other Captain America world characters to replace Captain America. Got it. Apparently it didn't go well. <laughs> um, and then I think WandaVision is not this year, but that's at least four. And I, feel, I must be forgetting one, but Got it. they had a lot of shows, and I was not here for it. Um, my worst moment of television in 2021, I'm getting political for a second, uh, is by far and away Tucker Carlson's monologues this year. He's had a few whoppers, um, notably saying that uh, FBI agents were behind the January 6th insurrection, um, suggesting that the people behind bars uh, after being arrested at January 6th were political prisoners. But what takes the cake for me, um, I said to a friend, I did not have NatCons for Putin's inalienable right to invade Ukraine on my 2021 bingo card. Uh, but if I did, Tucker Carlson would have punched that one for me, and I might have gotten a bingo on that. Uh, I've never seen somebody shill so much for 
Vladimir Putin, um, other than Dmitry Medvedev. Uh, Tucker Carlson, I'll, I'll put the clip in here, um, essentially saying that NATO solely exists to antagonize Russia and that all Russia wants to do by invading Ukraine is to defend its western border. Russia is currently involved in a border dispute with neighboring Ukraine. Many of Biden's closest aides are pushing the United States to get involved militarily. Now, among the many, many ironies here is that the Ukraine crisis was largely created by Joe Biden's own aides and many people like them throughout all levels of the U.S. government. So here's the Russian position. For Russia, the core question is NATO. NATO is the post-war military alliance created in 1949 to keep the Soviets from invading Western Europe, and it worked pretty well for about 40 years. But the Soviet Union has not existed in more than three decades. It's part of history now. And yet NATO very much lives on, better funded than ever. It is an army without a purpose. So at this point, NATO exists primarily to torment Vladimir Putin, who, whatever his many faults, has no intention of invading Western Europe. Vladimir Putin does not want Belgium. He just wants to keep his Western border secure. Um, that's a hot take, Tucker. And for that reason, that's why it's my worst moment of television in 2021. Tucker Carlson, uh, he's got some work to do in 2022 to get off of this list. So, all right. And on a light note, best moment in sports, worst moment in sports. Best moment. Uh, Messi winning the Copa America. Okay, we'll leave it at that. For me, it was the F1 championship battle, for sure. Worst moment in sports. Red Sox losing to the Astros. <laughs> that's All right, that's a good one. Um, my worst moment of sports is in 2021 is Steve Belichick and his no-good, disgusting tongue. Oh, that's uh, the best one. <laughs> I hated that Every so time much. Every I watch the Patriots game now, I look forward to seeing Steve. <laughs> his mullet and his tongue. He is an ugly-looking man <laughs> with that He's tongue crazy. and that hair. He looks nuts. He's I mean, crazy, and I love crazy people. Okay. I, I think crazy people are very entertaining. It was also bad because that debuted on the night that the Patriots almost beat Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, so it's just a bad memory whenever I see it again. It's traumatizing, re-traumatizing. Um, so uh, that's that's my worst moment. Let's go to book talk, Matt. We're, we're a fan of book talk on this podcast, right? Yes, yeah, it's, the, the form of entertainment that I consume the most every year. I, uh, I, have, I have to preface. I have only read a few books this year, mostly because I read two 1,000, no, one 1,000-page biography, a 500-page biography, a few 500-page books, and then I hit law school, and I'd rather do anything after studying <laughs> than read another book for pleasure. So let's go through... I think you and I are the same type of nerd and that we keep a spreadsheet and write the books that we've read this year. So I stopped using the spreadsheet. Okay. I've just been using Goodreads because okay. it's, it does it for me. Okay. Um, what were your top three books that you read this year? Top three books of the year um, have to be Diary of a Country Priest by Jorge Bernanos, uh, Silence by Shusaku Endo, and the Catholic Social Teaching Collection, which was just kind of a compilation of different writings. Got it. Which one was your favorite? Diary of a Country Priest. Diary of a Country Priest. And why? Uh, it was a book I wasn't expecting to enjoy as much as I did. Um, essentially, it is the Diary of a Country Priest. He's actually reading, <laughs> no! reading diary <laughs> entries um, from this priest who is in rural France and is dealing with just everyday life and being sick. Um, and there was just something very profound about like the ordinary. Uh, like Just the way that book is written... Uh, really just takes the ordinariness of this priest's life 
and, and makes it extraordinary. Um, Got it. And, and this isn't a spoiler because it's discussed in the introduction. The priest uh, ends up dying at the end. Uh, is, is cancer. And um, basically he goes from like hating the world uh, and like being really frustrated with everyone and everything around him to as he's dying saying grace is everywhere. And like he has just this profound like spiritual uh, growth. Uh, it's it's almost like a spiritual coming of age story. Sounds pretty inspirational. It's very good. Yeah, sounds pretty inspirational. I would say um, the top three books on my list, uh, of which there were five in total. I feel ashamed of saying. We're at Thirty-two books this year. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> you want to read my law books? I'll <laughs> trade. <laughs> um, I gotta get. That's one of my New Year's resolutions: is to figure out how to squeeze in some pleasure reading. To be honest. Um, my top books this year were, uh, in third place, I have a two-way tie between, um, The Fiery Trial, Abraham Lincoln and American Slavery by Eric Foner, details essentially Abraham Lincoln's evolution on the issue of slavery and the way that he approached the, the topic as president and as a legislator. Um, tied for third place was Kissinger, 1923 to 1968, The Idealist by Neil Ferguson, as you know, as I previously discussed on this podcast, I'm a big Kissinger fan, and I think Ferguson. You like I do, yeah, and uh, <laughs> I think Ferguson did a really, really good job of um, portraying Kissinger and a part of his life that most of us really do not understand or or haven't heard of before, and it was fascinating. In second place uh, was John Adams by David McCullough. Um. I'm also a big John Abbs fan, but haven't gotten around to reading this book yet. And reading this solidified my John Adams uh, appreciation, official John Adams Appreciation Society member. Um, I think the best part of this book actually was uh, the contributions that Abigail Adams made to John Adams' career. They really did act as a unit. Um, Abigail Adams, of course, at the time was marginalized by broader society simply for being a woman. A woman. A woman. Simply for being a woman. uh, Simply for being a woman. And uh, judging by the way that she approached the issues that her husband encountered and her sage advice, it just is evidence that that was um, a totally uh, non-meritorious way of, of treating women in broader society in general. And it was just remarkable to show, um, just through the letters that they sent to one another, that the love and support that they gave each other and and the trials and tribulations that they had to go through. John Adams was away for years in Europe while Abigail Adams was sent, was, was back in Massachusetts raising their children. And um, a very strong woman and a very uh, noble and courageous man. And it, it coincided really well with me starting law school well. Uh, co- coincided really well with me starting law school as John Adams was a lawyer and um, it, it was a focal point of his life for uh, every for, until the day that he died um, the law and finally uh, taking first place um, was In Cold Blood by Truman Capote it's a story it's not your typical story of a, of a crime it really isn't it's, a, it's really a case study on the American criminal and it focuses on a brutal murder that takes place and took place in Holcomb, Kansas, in the early 1950s, and it centers on the the two assailants, the um, the, the two murderers that um, committed this terrible crime, and it essentially doesn't try to humanize them. It tries to understand exactly how a person becomes capable of doing such a thing, of murdering an entire family that they didn't even know. Um, and just to, as an anecdote from the time that I was reading it. I was in my basement one night, 
And uh, I was in the part of the story where they, f- the, the, not to give away the, the plot of the story, but about the, the trick of the book is that the murder doesn't occur until about three quarters of the way through. You don't know what happened until about three quarters of the way through. And I was at the part where the murder was occurring. And the way that Truman Capote describes this scene made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. And it just so happened that in the middle of me reading that section in my basement, which was so quiet you could hear a pin drop, my brother bursts open the door and I literally jumped. I was so on edge from just reading this. It was brilliant, brilliant writing um, and just an excellent story and a testament to what you can do um, through studying the human psyche. So those are my top books this year and my favorite by far was, um, was Truman Capote's In Cold Blood. So... Very good. Uh, do we want to talk about other stuff? Columns, essays? Yeah. Um, I, I just re- made a realization as you were speaking. What'd you make? Both of my uh, articles are about um, not being sorry. Not being sorry? Yeah. Sorry. So, so you're not Canadian? No. Okay. Yeah. So do you, do you want me to... Do yes, to please. <laughs> so my best... We did a best and worst article of the year. Uh, my best article of the year, my most uh, my most favorite article of the year, uh, was Elizabeth Brunig's uh, opinion piece uh, that she pub- got published on Mother's Day uh, about motherhood and her becoming a mother at 25. Oh, I, um, I now get not being sorry. <laughs> she says, I became a mother at 25, and I'm not sorry I didn't wait. That's the, <laughs> that's the headline. Um, There's a very good article about, about um, motherhood or parenthood in general. She talks a bit about her husband as well, um, and uh, who has a great first name. Uh, and, you know, it's basically, uh, you know, it's just really good. It's about how people are deciding not to have children anymore or waiting longer to have children um, and kind of her countercultural uh, move in having children at a kind of more traditional age uh, for that. So uh, it was a very good article. It was published back in May on Mother's Day, like I said. Definitely recommend checking out. It's in the New York Times. Uh, and Nick, I think we have the same worst article. Do you want to do that first, or do you want to do your best? Let's let's do my best first, and then we'll circle back because we absolutely do have the worst article. Okay. It's a whopper, ladies and gentlemen. Um, my favorite column of the year. I'm a big fan of Jonah Goldberg and the G File, and his best column, in my opinion, was a column that he published early in the year, I think in April, called uh, "The Running with the Scissors Party," and it it essentially talks about um, how the GOP is abandoning the conservative sensibility of Steady change, non-radicalism, and uh, appreciating the institutions that have been formed in the past. So, uh, very cliche, Chesterton's fence. A conservative doesn't just move the fence or destroy it. It asks why it's there before um, destroying it or moving it. So, I'll read you a a brief excerpt from this. Uh, Measure twice, cut once is the boring, grown-up way to do carpentry. The exciting way to do carpentry is to get drunk on peach schnapps and high on airplane glue, cover yourself in baby oil, especially your hands so that they're super slippery, and then let the chainsaw guide you. Similarly, the boring way to improve society, through government at least, is to study the the facts carefully, hear a bunch of different experts debate the opinions... Sorry, debate the options, cost, and proposed benefits, and then launch a limited, reasonable reform, perhaps in a specific location, and then see how it works out before continuing. Another important part of boring conservatism, much like the good, boring parenting, is to say no to bad ideas whenever you see them. To quote, when change is unnecessary, it is necessary not to change, and all that. Um, and then he ends, he ends with uh, a, a great line. And then uh, Goldberg has a, one other paragraph that I think is really fun and 
pretty poignant. He says, um, the, this stuffy Disraelian approach to conservatism is the conservatism of people like retiring Senator Rob Portman, ex-governor of Indiana, Mitch Daniels, and most conservative judges. And I'm here for it. But a lot of people who call themselves conservative these days aren't. It's like they read John Stuart Mill literally rather than figuratively and decided that conservatives should be the running with scissors party. Jewish space lasers may be the funny tip of the spear of the new right stupidity, but there's so much more out there. The GOP should ditch the symbol of the elephant for a meme of the gasoline fight from Zoolander, with Matt Gates getting jiggy to wake me up before you go-go. After all, memes are much cooler than a large, slow-moving pachyderm with a long memory. That's why Madison Cawthorn has set up his shop to be ready with a tweet at a moment's notice, but has no plans to work on legislation. It's why Gates thinks if you aren't making news, you aren't governing. And I think that that really does describe the state of the Republican Party in 2021, and unfortunately what I think the state of the Republican Party is going to be like for the foreseeable future. And I think it really does lay out how that is not conservatism. It never has been, it never will be, and it cannot be. We cannot, light, we cannot let passions cloud our reasoning because it leads to the stupidity that we've seen in the past five years and we will see for the next five years. So that's why it's my favorite party. Not my favorite party. Dang it! That's why it's my favorite column of 2021. And you can check that out over at the Dispatch. Um, so, if you remember what I said earlier, both yeah. of my articles were about not being sorry. Yes! So Elizabeth Brunig isn't sorry that she gave birth at 25, and uh, Declan Leary is not sorry that there were mass graves of natives uh, up in Canada. Up in Canada. <laughs> From, from the government and from uh, certain Catholic schools. So if, you got, if, if the viewers, um, if the listeners don't know what, what, what was discovered this year, it was essentially discovered that in Canada, you had a bunch of residential schools that had been taking Native American children forcibly from their tribes and, and homes and putting them in the residential schools that were abusing them, underfeeding them, underclothing them, not supplying them with proper medical um, uh, medical care, and this occurred in the in the late tw- late nineteenth and early twentieth centuries. And what happened was because these children were Native Americans, they simply just buried them in mass graves. They didn't care, and they're still discovering them in Canada to this day. It's very grim. It's a terrible part of both Canadian and American history because this occurred in the West of the United States as well. And this is something that should. Be apologized for. It's not a good thing. Matt, do you have a passage that you want to read from? Because I have one if you... No, I don't. I just have general comments. Um, Let me read you a passage first for our listeners to understand exactly the type of bullshit arguments that are made in this to justify a disgusting atrocity to soothe this writer's ego. Um, He writes, We have always known that many children died in the residential schools, which were active in the 19th and 20th century. Child mortality was relatively high during that period to begin with. Indian mortality was astronomically high, and the church-run schools for Native children were systematically underfunded by the government, resulting in subpar facilities and adequate medical care. Second, the sites were certainly include include graves of Christian adults from neighboring communities. Um, The mass graves of public hysteria are, in fact, the ordered and intentional burial sites of people we always knew were dead and who died more or less of natural causes, of natural causes, this man asserts. In more literate terms, we might call that a cemetery. I wonder what he thinks of 
places like the killing fields where there were just bodies buried and left there because of either being shot, executed, or left to die for these very similar reasons. He writes, people die, and when they die, they put them in a grave. Uh, This is not to discount the deaths of children altogether. Of course, it would have been better if each and every one of them had lived a long and happy life. Um, But he goes on to essentially excuse the actions of of the people that ran these sites. So So. that actually isn't even the most appalling passage from the article. No, I think the most appalling thing is how it opens. He opens it with a very long quote from Luke chapter Mm 9 and essentially tries to justify what happens to these children uh, because he's like, oh, well, they were um, they were evangelized too. Or I wouldn't even say they were evangelized too. They were uh, essentially forced to convert. Yeah. Um, which, you know, was not a super common practice, uh, but for these people it certainly was. And uh, yeah. he essentially says, oh, well, you know, they may have died and they may have been abused, but at least, at least uh, they became Christians. Um, and... That is so counter to Christianity. It is. Um, and he's, he's trying to defend the church by saying this. And um, it's something that should be apologized for. It was not like, it's not like this was done by the infallible part of the church. And, and if, we like take, was, yeah. if we want to take the idea of evangelization out of it, the church should, should apologize for cooperating with the systematic extermination of a culture. That's what occurred in Canada. They removed children from their families and forcibly sent them to boarding school. That's what occurred here. That's evil. That is the definition of evil. Separating children from their parents to shove them off into an ideological indoctrination factory, that's evil. And and it's inconsistent, like you were saying, with the basic tenets of Christianity. Uh, So the fact that he tried to justify it through, through that means, like how he basically opens his article... Uh, is is pretty disgusting to me um, because that is not how uh, we are called to be missionary disciples uh, at all. It, it's not it's not even close. Um, it, it's it's just shocking that the way that people will bend over backwards to um, defend things that are are indefendable or indefensible. Um, here's the here's the whopper line of the entire column. Ready. Whatever sacrifices were exacted in the pursuit of that grace, i.e. conversion, the suffocation of a noble pagan culture, an increase in disease and bodily death due to government negligence, even the, sur- the sundering of natural families, is worth it. Right, and, and it's literally not. Like, according to uh, the church, according to the Bible... Um, according to basic morale. According to, yeah, according to our basic system of ethics, um, that is not worth it. It's not how, uh, it's not how, it's, it's literally not, it's just not how the Bible says to evangelize. Um, and so it, it just, it's, it's an incoherent argument. Um, and it, it's, again, doing mental gymnastics to try to defend something. Which you don't that, need to do. Right, that's indefensible. You're just like, oh, that's bad. And we're sorry that it happened. And, you know, it's bizarre. I, I, I think it has something to do with with like forgiveness not being like 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 people thinking everything needs to be defended because because uh, not that I want to take this into a diatribe about cancel culture, but like that it's like people can't be forgiven. Right. Like, Apo- apologies are seen as weakness. Right. Apologies are seen as weakness when no, actually, humility and apologizing and humility and saying, oh, "Look, I was wrong." It's the mark of a good person. That's yeah. That's like a standout characteristic. Um, 
and it's scary that that's bleeding into someone who is a very professedly practicing Catholic uh, to write an article like this. That's that's not good. Yeah, not good at all. I'd say evil. Not that this person is evil. I don't know him, but, no, but the, the article itself. The is, idea is pretty, absolutely is. Um, all right, let's move away from ripping somebody, <laughs> and uh, let's review the predictions that we made in 2020 for the year 2021, okay? The predictions that you made, we'll run through the list rather quickly, okay? You predicted that Javier Becerra, um, then the controversial nominee for um, the Department of Health and Human Services, would not get confirmed, and that was, he yeah. ended up getting confirmed. Um, very close vote, if my memory serves correct. You predicted that there would be a suspicious accident involving Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. That didn't happen, but Kamala Harris did assume the powers of the president for a period of time. I think during a colonoscopy, he did. He had to get a polyp checked, if my memory serves correct. You predicted that Donald Trump would start a media company. That absolutely happened. You were correct. He did start a media company. Uh, Devin Nunes has announced that he's not running for office again, so that he can go work for Donald Trump's media company. I saw that. Uh, and you predicted that there would be state vaccine mandates. Now, there hasn't been... Oh, you, you, missed, uh, you missed one. Oh, my bad. You said that Trump would not go to the inauguration and that he would hold a rally during Biden's inauguration, which he absolutely did. Uh, and finally, you suggested that there would be state-mandated vaccines. I'd say yes, if you want to go with the loose sense, but there hasn't been, like, mandated, you're getting a shot. Right. Uh, it's been you're getting a shot or you can't do X. Right, which essentially. is essentially. Yeah, I think, I think you're if right. If you can't go to a restaurant yeah. or a movie theater yeah. or anywhere yeah. uh, besides you know your house in a grocery store without a vaccine, I think that that is essentially a mandate. Yep. It's a functioning mandate. Yeah, so you went three for five. Pretty good. Not 100%. bad. Not bad. Um, I predicted that there would be a brief but significant inflation crisis, and I specified in my prediction due to supply chain issues. I think I nailed that. Yeah, I I did not think honestly that it would be this bad or this long, but I nailed the inflation problem. You maybe didn't nail brief. No, well, it depends on what brief is. Yeah. <laughs> I I said brief. I'm pretty sure I said I was listening back to it before we recorded this, and I said three to four months. Okay. Um, which is a little short, but right. we're, uh, we're coming up on that already. Yeah. Um, I predicted that GDP would come in lower than expected for the United States, which is absolutely correct. For Q2 and Q3, at least, I know they were far below um, the expectation for growth. Uh, so I was right there. I predicted that masks would be commonplace in 2021, but people would be back in school. That was correct. But I said that most people would be wearing masks, which I don't know what the rest of the country is. That's true up here. I actually didn't have to wear a mask in law school. I know you did at Suffolk. Uh, yeah. But I think it's fair to say that most people did, right? Um, I think in the Northeast. I can't speak for everyone yeah, else. Yeah, I don't know what the red states down south are doing. Probably not wearing any. Probably not. Um, and then I finally predicted that China would prod the U.S. and the South China Sea through constructing a base or conducting a cyber attack on Taiwan to test Biden, and that was incorrect. Thankfully, China didn't do any of that. Andy, uh, if anybody remembers the Christmas special from last year, Andy's uh, predictions were all sarcastic, but he absolutely nailed one of his sarcastic predictions. Metaphorically. Metaphorically. And that was a giant sinkhole would swallow the Cuomo brothers. And that absolutely happened. <laughs> the uh, sinkhole of politics and media absolutely swallowed the Cuomo, Cuomo brothers this year. So, good job, Andy. Kudos to Andy. So I was go, Andy. three of four, you were three of five, and Andy... Was one of four. <laughs> Why did I have five? Uh, you added one at the end. Okay. Just listening back to it. Okay. Um, I'll start with my predictions, and I'm curious to hear yours for 2022. So my official three predictions for 2022 are 
the majority of cities and states in the United States will drop all COVID restrictions after the winter. Interesting. I think that this Omicron wave is going to change a lot of the way that we have approached the COVID policy because we're not going to see a dramatic spike in death among vaccinated people. I think we are among unvaccinated people. It's rather disturbing, the, the figures that I'm seeing pertaining to um, hospitalization rate among unvaccinated people in this way. But I think for the most part, vaccinated people are doing quite well. Knock on wood for that. Um, my second prediction, rather grim. I think that Russia is going to invade Ukraine. There's rumbles right now that they're massing troops on the border. Um, Joe Biden is set to have a phone call with Putin uh, today on Thursday, if I'm correct, uh, to discuss this issue. It's a serious, serious threat. I know our friend Liam, um, in discussion with him, wanted to throw some hot water on that idea, but I'm not convinced that it's not going to happen. Um, I think it's likely that it is. And finally, I think Liz Cheney is going to lose her primary race in Wyoming. To, that, to some, that may seem like a safe prediction. That's a very safe I'm not entirely convinced of that, um, but I'm going to predict that she's going to lose her primary race and will be booted out of the Republican Party. So, my three predictions. My <clears throat> three predictions. Mask mandates, at least in the Northeast, uh, are not going to stop. Well, Northeast and Pacific. Okay. Coast. So you're the opposite of me. Yeah, I, I think that I think we're going to have mask mandates in, in Boston, uh, at least for the foreseeable future. Okay. Um, maybe not all the way through 2022, but at least I, I don't think it's just going to stop when the winter's over. Interesting. Um, unfortunately. Uh, I think that we're going to see a vaccine booster mandates uh, in the same vein as how we're seeing the mandates now. So, oh, you can't go to a bar or a restaurant without your booster. Um, that kind of stuff. Um, I think that's going to be required. And uh, my last prediction is that in the upcoming midterms next November, uh, I think the Republicans are going to take back the House and the Senate on a Let's Go Brandon campaign platform. I think that where there's <laughs> going to be no policy discussion, there's no. going to be no, um, there's going to be no actual substance, no agenda. It's going to be they're doing what the Democrats did to win. Uh, the Democrats said we don't like Donald Trump, yeah, and they won. Yep. And the Republicans are saying we don't like Joe Biden. Let's go Brandon, yeah, uh, and they're going to win. Yep, and I, I think that's pretty pretty safe also i think that's safe um, i hope i'm wrong about all my well excuse me i don't hope i'm wrong about all my predictions yeah. i hope i'm wrong about my last two predictions i hope uh i'm wrong at least about the first two and i hope i'm half wrong on the third one okay i, I, I think that yeah I, i'd like them not to win on that ground <laughs> I want them to win, but not on those grounds. yeah i agree yeah. <laughs> which is not gonna happen <laughs> That's probably the least likely. That's probably the most likely thing to happen. Right. They run on Let's Go Brandon and they win. I think that's fair. Um, let's let's end on an introspective note. Um, what's something you've learned about yourself in the year 2021? I have learned that uh, being online is incredibly unhealthy for me. Uh, I recently, uh, i.e., within the last couple months, deleted all of my social media except for uh, LinkedIn. Goodreads and um, <laughs> Facebook. Uh, I keep Facebook because I, I use Facebook. It's for old people. It's for old people. Yeah. I never look at it. Um, but I deleted all the ones that I use actively, uh, like would, would actively scroll with. And um, essentially I used, uh, I deleted everything and my life got markedly better. Uh, <laughs> and, and I'm much more at peace. I'm much more, uh, much more present with the people around me. Uh, and I spend far less time on my phone. So... It's good. It's a very good thing. Uh, Twitter, Twitter is 
still there, but I don't have it on, on any of my devices. Instagram and Snapchat completely deleted, and it's great. Um, I learned that I really like to cook. So I commuted for all three years of undergrad, and so this is really the first time of me being um, – you know, in an apartment by myself. And, uh, I always, you know, my mom is a big cook and I, it was usually my brother that would help out and mostly because I was just lazy to be honest. But, um, the necessity of having to, to cook for yourself has made me realize that I, I really do like, um, sort of branching out and trying new things and, you know, making food for myself. Um, in, in, and for others, as you can attest that I force fed you stuff. Oh yeah. Um, sorry, Matt. <laughs> and, and you can also attest that I tear apart the kitchen and make a gigantic you, you mess. You are a kitchen exploder. I'm a kitchen exploder. Um, make a lot of dishes, but I, I really like to cook. And I also think I've learned that I made the right decision in going to law school. Um, I never thought that I made the wrong decision, but I was just waiting for sort of confirmation that I made the right decision, a little bit of confidence. And, um, yeah, I don't have grades yet for final exams, which is frustrating, um, but I think I did well and, um, uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, which is, you know, despite the fact your, that it was, your, yeah, the way you were during finals yeah. I mean, I came, it. I came out of my room one day during studying for finals and Matt came back from church and I said, what day is it? And you said, it's Sunday. And I said, I thought it was Friday. And I was genuine. I had no idea what day it was he because I was know. just... He didn't know what day it was. For that two-week period. Well, one time, uh, to go into the cooking as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go I ahead. Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> I know what you're going to say. And Nick says, I haven't had time to eat. It's like, I don't know, 10 o'clock. I walk in the door. Yep. And Nick goes, oh, I haven't had time to eat anything today. I, I, just <laughs> had, I had a tuna sandwich. Yeah. And that was it. And I come home and I, and I look on the stove and I go, well, what's this pot on the stove? Yeah. What are you cooking? He goes, oh, well, I made a raspberry compost. <laughs> I'm like, Nick, why you had time to make a raspberry I don't compost. Know. You should have had food. You should have I don't know what I was doing. I was just so out of it. You made like, like a jam or something. I made it like, yeah, it was like a, a jam thing. I don't even I didn't even use it. Like I had a tiny bit of it. Yeah, and I was just like, Why are you making this when you haven't had food today? I don't know. That was very funny. It was I, wild. I mean, this this kid is obviously has no clue what's going on. I got grimy. Um it was a lot of work and it wasn't easy, but I think I made the right decision. So I'm I'm happy about that and i'm looking forward i'm honestly looking forward to the to next semester and learning some more oh, that'll be good yeah so all right matt any last thoughts in the year 2021 hopefully next year's better yeah this year kind of sucked not gonna lie it was it was great for me personally i think it was good for you it personally, was very good for me personally but for the rest of the world i don't really see a ton of positives like to be honest I've really thought long and hard about some great achievements that humanity has made in this year, with the exception of maybe the vaccine and some of these, you know, uh, drugs coming out that are great at commercial uh, flights to space. Yeah, but we cool. we did that though. Yeah. You know, we did that. We did that last year a little bit with SpaceX. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, I, they went to the edge of space. That was cool. Well, no, like, I guess. Like, like civilians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. With Blue Origin. That was cool. I'll give you that. That was, that was cool. It's kind of neat. Yeah, yeah. Is it useful? Maybe not. Probably. I think it is. It, it furthers the, the industry. Sure. And it's all about making it somewhat profitable so that sure. it, so that it can explode. Exactly. You need somebody like Jeff Bezos to spend the amount of money that he needs to spend in order to make that profitable. You really do. I advocate people go buy their books on thrift books so they can help Jeff Bezos not do that. I advocate that people go buy their books on Amazon so that we can get to space quicker. 
and discover the cosmos. Oh, the other achievement in space this year is the the James Webb Telescope that just recently went up. It hasn't fully worked yet. They they're in the process of unfurling it. But if it does unfurl. Uh, correctly and everything's up in working order, we will literally be able to see stars from the year zero um, and exploding stars, which is just unbelievable, something we've never seen before. So that's a gigantic achievement if everything goes to plan. um, Cross your fingers for that. Uh, Yeah, so to avid listeners, thank you for listening. Um, We won't be back anytime soon. We just thought it'd be a good time to... um, catch up with our listeners and well, it's also just kind of irresponsible for me to talk about politics when i stopped following it that's true it's not good for me to talk about things i don't know about that's I'm true okay admitting that i don't know anything about anything that's going on right now that's true um and we appreciate everyone that's uh, been on the show this year and we've had some great guests this year uh and uh we wish all of our listeners and everybody that's helped us along the way a, a happy new year hope you had a great christmas <laughs> and um, best of luck in 2022. Such a best song.